1: Hi, everyone. This is Anne-Marie Lockhart, and you're listening to Vox Poetica's 15 Minutes of Poetry. I'm here today with David Massinio, editor of Sensations magazine and a poet extraordinaire in his own right. Hi, David.
0: Hi, how are you?
1: Good. Thanks for joining me.
0: Thanks for having me here.
1: So we're going to start with the poem. Okay. Let's go.
0: Uh, my first poem is from my book Formal, which was uh, published in 2006. It was a collection of form-oriented poetry, many different kinds of form in it. This is a ballade uh, titled "Ballad for National Poetry Month. In March, I start doing the same things as you, like prepping for public show at county fair. The calendar listings can seem like a zoo, a long line of cages we pick through with care. Perhaps purchase closing a fresh public view. And then pollen season comes, our amaranth. The dripping, the scratchiness, all nothing new. What sadist picked April for poetry month? We sniffle through sonnets, eyes teary, we rue, this season congestion we barely can bear. Sistina's is our agony, gag halfway through, who cares about book sales, we want singular. Our villanelles are hell, Allegra will do, The season comes stealthily like coelacanth, a seize to the throat rising out of the blue, what sadist picked April for poetry month? The post-nasal drippiness in my pantoum, that loud ha <laughs> cough, back to disturb the air. That pregnant pause brilliance, that isn't quite true. The zertek has not kicked in. Pull up a chair. My tankers are tanking. Haiku now haiku. I'm fed up with filament pain of perianth. My blood pressure escalates. I want to sue. What state has picked April for poetry month? So pack your inhaler and come if you dare. It's tragic. Our noses are like tragicunth. But nothing stops poets. We are hard to scare. What state has picked April for poetry month? <laughs>
1: That is awesome. Thank you. (laughs) And it is an excellent question. I've been wondering myself because my voice is shot. So, uh, Zyrtec, huh?
0: (laughs) I've done um, National Poetry Month readings as a feature for over 30 years. So, I've been at it before there was a National (laughs) Poetry Month. That's kind of a... And
1: before there was Zyrtec, too. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, let's talk a little bit about the history of your poetry.
0: Okay. Well, I started writing at the age of nine, and uh, that becomes interesting because in a few years I'll be able to do a golden anniversary poetry tour when I'm 59 years old and plan to do exactly that. Um, But I think what makes me a little different from a lot of people is people start as uh, child poets and maybe they continue it through high school and college, and then they stop for one reason or another, maybe come back to it later on. Uh, But what's different about me is I wrote poetry every single year. I unfortunately lost um, two years of poetry when my mother cleaned out a desk drawer and <laughs> and trashed, you know, what I did in 1975 and 1976. But I've got one piece that I managed to save from that period. Uh, but otherwise, I have written new poetry every single year and I have published um, uh, or had published eight books so far, uh, with a ninth one coming next year that we'll talk about later this year, which we'll talk about later.
1: So the writing has a long history. When did you start editing is my other question.
0: I first became a poetry, uh, editor, like being on an editorial committee with, uh, images, literary magazine, uh, published through my high school, uh, which has me starting in that position in December, 1979. Uh, I later went to Fordham University, started a literary magazine there in 1981 called Alternative Motifs. And uh, I ran it for two years, gave it up for my senior year so that it would continue after my graduation. 15 years after my graduation, there were still two literary magazines at Fordham University until the university forcibly consolidated the two together. But by my second year uh, at Fordham, I was running a staff of 50 people and we had become the third largest group on campus. So uh, the actual getting down to the nitty gritty and not just judging poetry, but you know, editing it and selecting things out and in, uh, that came more in 1981 and then with a sensations magazine which started in 1987 we were part of the desktop publishing revolution so my first uh magazine was done on a mac sc i recently took a trip to scandinavia and saw a mac sc on display <laughs> in a museum of technology so uh so then um we would typically hand print and hand bind each of the magazines and uh this enabled us to do color pages um, within the magazine which was a real revolution because at the time you used to have to spend like four thousand dollars on colored plates yeah. to be able to do any type of interior color so once these things changed to allow us to do this we were like right on top of it and we've simply kept the magazine going uh, ever since um all the way up through uh 2012 where we concluded our goal of publishing 50 issues across 25 years. And at the time, um, we believed that we were closing the publication. Uh, I wrapped it with an index and some other documents, but then um, we had people who were interested in keeping it going, and I had some personal matters to attend to that kind of got resolved by 2017, which allowed me to reboot the publication. Now doing um, 11 by 17, folded in half, stapled in the middle, but triple column format. So the previous publication, which we called Full Issues, uh, they would be one poem per page, glossy paper. It also included a lot of other things, poetry, fiction, essays, Hmm. book reviews, uh, events, a whole variety of different things, uh, research articles. Um, But now we've stripped down and it's just uh, poetry, but poetry on theme.
1: Okay. So is the evolution over the years is fascinating because and this is the case i think um with a lot of publications if you don't find a way to evolve it's very hard to maintain it's hard to maintain no matter what mm-hmm. but when you don't have an evolving mission purpose and and you know uh i guess expressive route it's it's even harder so you found a way to keep the content you know for, you you know keep it from boring you to no end and <laughs> To keep it relevant and to, I think maybe even um, broad—not not broaden, but focus mm-hmm. the the uh, the scope of it. Well, I
0: can talk a little bit more about that. Um, our first three issues were essentially trying to find ourselves, so we did just general theme poetry. Uh, the, the, the first one was kind of an extension created by people who had been associated with my college publication. The second one, we had been listed in uh, Poets Market and started getting work from that, a novel and short story writer's market. So it had kind of a winter theme. And then the third one, uh, we were the first literary magazine to put a hologram on the front cover. <laughs> um, and uh, it was more of a summer-themed issue. But then in December of 1990... We started this uh, research project called the Redisco- Rediscovering America in Poetry Research Series. So the focus was looking at a multi multicultural focus of what was the beginning of writing in what is now the continental United States. So in looking at that, many people think of Anne Bradstreet as the mother of, of American mm-hmm. poetry because she wrote from 1632 to 1669, very long period of time. But when we were first in the initial stages of discussion, I said, that may be true, but that's only if you view the United States from a Europe-centric standpoint and you exclude what, is, what was Spanish Florida, you exclude New Spain, you exclude New France. So um, when we went back, we discovered that the first poem written by a European inspired by a visit to our shores, was written in December, 1565, uh, related to Fort Caroline, Florida, which was a French settlement in the middle of New Spain. And it was that incursion that led uh, Pedro Menendez de Aviles, uh, the Spanish conquistador, to decide he needed a permanent settlement in Florida to basically claim it for New Spain. And that led to the founding of St. Augustine, which today is still the longest lasting permanent uh, Mm. European settlement based in the United States. So anyway, December 1565, uh, we have this uh, man, Nicholas Le Chaloux, writing this poem. We discovered this in 1990. We put it on the front cover as the 425th anniversary of American poetry. And we start getting university libraries subscribing, including much of the Ivy League. Brown, Cornell, Princeton, U of Penn, U of Wisconsin, uh, New York Public Library, and a number of others started getting involved with our publication because now we were poetry, fiction, and research.
1: A lot of branches. And
0: the research series went on, serialized in 10 different parts. It presented about 600 extant poems is what we found. Mm -hmm. And I had a friend who was a Latin translator, John J. Trauss, who translated many couplets from Latin into English, some of them for the first time in 350 years. And I worked with other translators too. So it was a very substantial research project. And it gets interesting to me because this is all coming out of a non-academic environment. We operated without government grant funding, no federal, state, or local government grant funding in all 33 years that we've operated. We are not associated with any university and we are not... um, Uh, involved with um, any entity that prevents us from uh, choosing what direction we want to go in or wants to censor what we present or or things of that nature.
1: So it's, you know, um, fascinating when academic work actually occurs outside of academia, because um, you're you're unfettered, like you just expressed, Mm -hmm. and also you're bringing a passion to it that that goes a little beyond somebody's day job, right? So Uh it's not what you're trained in per se, and it's not what you're getting paid to do. It's just something that your heart is leading you toward, which I think um, imbues the work in a different way. So uh, this research piece and the history side of things... uh, That's a big part of your personal writing, Mm -hmm. as well as the History of Sensations magazine. Talk a little bit about where history and poetry come together in your personal work.
0: Well, I had not specialized in history. I was a graduate of uh, English was my major. Uh, I'm sorry, communications was my major. English was my minor. And uh, I Basically started getting involved and interested in American history, I think fairly early on. I think it was reading uh, Roots around 1977 and the John Jakes American Bicentennial series in 1976. love those books. That really got me into history. So I've always enjoyed <laughs> historical fiction. And then I started writing it uh, really throughout much of my writing career. But it wasn't my sole focus. I've written poems on social injustice. Uh, I've written both formal and free verse. Uh, I've written a lot of different types of of poetry. I've written on legal issues, which is unusual for poetry as well. Um, But I decided to do... A major collection focusing on American history uh, called History Opticon, which came out in 2013. It actually was a 20-year writing project, started in 1994, completed in 2013, sweeping through 500 years of American history, including the pre-United States days of the 1500s and 1600s, which is my area of expertise as a historian. And the approach I took with the poems I wrote in the book was to try and give an Edward R. Murrow, you are there approach to poetry, that you were there with that person in that moment, feeling what they're feeling. And I felt that that was an appropriate way to bring poetry alive. But what's important also about History Opticon are two other things. Um, I wanted to focus on including the unwritten or underwritten histories of women, African-Americans, LGBT individuals, and other minorities, which is in the book. And because even going back into the 1990s and the 2000s, prior to contemporary politics, there was always this pushback uh, as to what is a real and authentic history. And so I wanted a poetry book that not only... Really captured the history and included research details like the color of Ponce de Leon's eyes, for instance. So if there are details mentioned in a poem of mine, they are generally pretty accurate, you know, but also uh, I wanted people to be able to turn to this book as a means to look at authentic American history. So in the back of the book, there's a 60 page about the poem section, which cites YouTube videos and resources where people can learn more and actually goes poem by poem and explains what is the creative fictional part versus what is the real Mm -hmm. events that inspired Mm -hmm. it. So in a way, the entire book is a response to that fake news mantra by saying, well, you may not like a slant on a particular poem or you may not agree with it, But here's the history behind it. And if you want to dispute the sources, go right ahead. This is a very authentic approach to American history.
1: And I think um, some of those pieces, I think, are some of your best work. I I have felt that when I've heard you deliver them um, at readings and when I've read them in straight text, um, they're very, the the research is embedded in it so much that you don't find yourself thinking about it when you're in the poem space, which Mm -hmm. is You know, that shows you did it right. (laughs) Because if people get hung up on the, oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the details of what you're putting in there and and stepping outside the story, then it feels more like a a research paper. And that's not Mm -hmm. what what you're intending to do. But you get the voice. The voice comes through these pieces um, in a very intense way. And I would love for our readers to hear one of those poems right now.
0: Okay. I'm going to do that, but I want to just tangent back a bit where we were talking about phases of the magazine we did change it in different phases so i mentioned this international phase from 87 to 89 the research series ran from 1990 to 1999 2000 we did a scenic new jersey issue and then we started doing quarterly magazines uh, in 2001 through 2005 and they were on a whole variety of things 2004 was a salute to the arts year so we did issues Mm -hmm. on theater cinema television and music Uh, And then when we got to uh, 2006 and 2007, they were our 20th anniversary period. And then 2008, we did six issues focusing on um, what we called the American Century Series. So it was um, 16th century America all the way to 21st century America. And then we hit the 25th anniversary in 2011. And then 2012, the final issue was on the theme of Titanic. And we thought we were closing the magazines at that point so we had a titanic luncheon here at my home we converted our living room to an Edwardian dining room we have a <laughs> uh, a p- portrait of king edward we had two chefs that we hired to reconstruct the titanic uh menu for the first class dining and we had fine china and all this different stuff and poets portraying different people who were on titanics which was uh, hilarious and uh <laughs> and so uh the magazine came out And then History Opticon, when it came out, included this poem I'm going to read for you, which is The Last Note. And it's one of several Titanic-themed poems Mm. in this book. And because we're really on the weekend when the ship sank, you know, many years ago, I felt that this would be a good one to give a sense of my work and also dovetail into that. This is titled The Last Note. Light fights night tonight. As piano, two violins, two cellos, one string-bass viola place tonight's mood as autumn attempt to soothe. The sizzle, crack, and pop of light bulbs contribute counterpoint. Like a dream tonight, as the music carries far over thin, cold air. Like a dream tonight, as the last bulb pops, as the giant monolith darkens, prepares to dive. Waves lap lost steel, ripple broken bodies, debris, deck chairs. Groaning steel accompanies two violins, two cellos, one piano, one string bass viola from the Titanic silhouette. From wooden lifeboats, from under wool blankets, wonder crescendoed. Survivors watched the shadow lurch and lean, looked at each other, asked, how in God's name can they still be playing? The surrounding icy Atlantic offered the only clear answer. They're not coming. Let me sleep. I must be in heaven. I hear music. I hear beautiful, beautiful music.
1: Hmm. It's chilling, David. It's chilling. Um, And while I would love to sit with that, we're not going to do that right now on this radio show, mm-hmm. but but I do want to talk about... That, and that That poem really does illustrate what I said before. I mean, the voice that you bring to these pieces is, is very engaging, and it takes the listener right into that space. Um, so when you did the event here, you read this poem there? Yes. or Yes. So did everyone read a poem that, had a, that was part of that theme? Or yes, was, okay. because
0: it, the invitation was to our subscribers. Uh, we shifted our reading series... Um, The Sensations Magazine creative events series is among the 25 longest lasting poetry reading series in the United States. It started in New Jersey in 1988 as the first non-smoking poetry reading series in the state (laughs) and stayed that way until the state changed the law on smoking, I believe, around 1996. But we kept this going all this time. The series had many sub-series with it. We ran a monthly series at Newark Public Library. We did um, a series of events in 16 different uh, Jersey Shore towns from uh Brielle in the south to Mammoth Beach in the north right along that that strip of the mm-hmm. coast every town and um we did different uh cabaret shows and theme shows that were related to our publication as well later on we the shift went again to american history and so we were doing uh readings in the house that would focus on published poets of different time periods so we take a time period of 25 years let's say 1700 to 1725 and all the people who came we did round robin style readings of classic work from those time periods and that went on for a few years as well um when we did the titanic uh luncheon we had i think probably 16 people in here and uh the whole event with the dinner and and the dessert and everything else I think it went close to five hours or so. <laughs> but it but it was it was wonderful. And not all of that was poetry. That was us uh, you know, we were in costume and, and portraying different people. I portrayed um Andrews, who was the ship designer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my uh poet Davidson Garrett got to portray uh, Captain Smith, <laughs> and we had other people as well who, who were involved in this.
1: Well, that raises another question mm-hmm. because you've had um you're this is a very unique um, program that you do with this publication in terms of the combining the the actual published work and the reading series. Um, some of those readings are open to the public; some of them are mm-hmm. closed to subscribe. You know, to only open to subscribers. Correct. There are lots of ways to engage your poetry, but they're mm-hmm. not all only on the page. But what I what I um, want to know a little more about is. Being somewhat new to the group, I'm curious, you have a long history with some of these writers and a shorter history with others, but Mm -hmm. how has that circle changed over the years? How did it begin? Where did this idea for creating this intertwined readings and publications and this kind of, um, it's almost like a fellowship gathering. Mm -hmm. You know, how did that happen?
0: Well, it really started as early as uh, my first publication because we did two or three readings associated with that publishing that publication so the first time I was actually doing event hosting through a literary magazine uh, goes back to I believe um, 1983 or 84 and even as early as 1980 I hosted a reading for a uh, small um, book I had written uh, in my freshman year so I've always been interested in the personal interaction and with uh, creating community. Uh, I think many of the people associated with me respect me for that effort. uh, And people who want to be part of a community are welcome to get involved with our publication. Uh, But that community has changed over the years, as you noted, Um, because we moved around from place to place in New Jersey, Uh, We sometimes would draw people when we were doing things at the shore, we would draw one group of people when we were up in the North, we did others. Some of our events, like when we did the scenic New Jersey issue in 2000, we read from the different poems in different parts of New Jersey as part of a seven hour caravan zigzagging (laughs) through the state. And, um, And so I had different people join for the entire thing and then some meet us just at certain points and it just worked very well. So part of my background is trying to create events that are interesting, that are in unusual locations. Uh, We've done things like a poetry reading in the fluorescent room of an underground mine or, I don't know, it's hard to think of them now, but there's many, (laughs) many different things that we've done. Uh, But... I have had people associated with our group for over 20 years mm. and the unfortunate thing is uh what you would call actuarial you know the longer that you do something the greater the likelihood that people who joined you are going to pass away sure. and because we are not a large group we got hit with uh, the deaths of uh, three major poets wow. who had been with us for 20 years wow. visiting our reading all in the same year mm. And then there's other poets with our group who are, you know, skewing, you know, older. And of course I started all this when I was younger. And so I've gone from the point of uh, being the upstart to being venerable. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my concern right now, because I'm planning to keep this going for a long time for longer, I I've announced on our website, uh, sensationsmag.com that our intention is to do a 45-year run for the publication to the year 2032 and a full 50-year run for the Sensations Magazine Creative Events Series to 2038. Mm. So to be able to do that, it becomes imperative for me to get not only poets of any age, but especially younger poets involved with the publication. So I'm not really looking, I mean, I'm looking for people who are happy to say, submit to our Best Newcomer contest and, you know, see if they get published in that. If they're interested, they could join us as a subscriber too. But I'm more interested in poets who are looking for a place where they can hang their hat and be part of a community And be involved with that community year after year for hopefully the next decade or so.
1: Tell us where to find the website uh, so people can find information on how to join.
0: If you go to http colon slash slash www.sensationsmag.com, that's where our website is. Uh, You don't put the S in for the HTTP because when you do http colon slash slash, It will then kick over to a secured website. And on there, there is a contest button, which lists the contest guidelines. Those guidelines are only for people who have never been published in our pages before. And the theme for this supplement, it's uh, on the theme of Westward Expansion 1784 to 1959. It goes into all the details on the website, so I won't go into that there. But basically, uh, there's a $10 entry fee. You get to choose three categories and submit one poem per category. The deadline is June 1st, and you need to do all of that in print because we do not take electronic submissions. Um, and we expect to get back to people within two weeks of that deadline with notifications and have the supplement out by the end of July. Poets who are selected for it will be invited to an event. Uh, which will debut the magazine probably be uh, in the upstairs of a local restaurant here in Sussex County and um, you know we'll just take things from there
1: okay now um, we're running out of time so I do want to talk about your next book
0: okay Uh, the new book uh, my ninth book is titled 20 minutes of calm and it is my first collection of nature poems so these are poems some of them have never been published before some of them have been published in some of my other books But it's important to note that except for the occasional used copy that's around, each of the books has been sold out with the exclusion of History Opticon, which is a print on demand book that can be acquired at blurb.com. So the new book, the idea of it was to present these nature poems and be able to do a monthly reading tour from August 2019 to December of 2020, where Anyone, regardless of political persuasion, is welcome to come to one of my readings and just enjoy 20 minutes of calm, which I think will appeal to a lot of people at this point.
1: (laughs) Very timely. We're going to close with a a reading from, with a poem from that new book.
0: Okay. This is titled Moment at Lake at Sion. Scrub pine curves, sideways question mark. Cones bursting branch by branch, fanning over flickering ripples. Waves and pine combs interplay sunlight shade, mulling a mullica meeting. Pine needles notice the poet, painting time pen to paper. Tall logs frame them, facing in the moment. Beyond both, breeze brings a Tibetan bell's chime.
1: And it certainly is calming, and we can certainly use some more of that right now. Um... That's all the time we have. I want to thank you, David, for joining us today.
0: Thank you very much.
1: Uh, That was David Massinio, everyone. I hope you enjoyed what you heard, and I hope you can check out his website,
0: www.sensationsmag.com,
1: and uh, figure out how to subscribe, how to submit, how to get involved if you're local in New Jersey, or if you just like to come to Jersey sometimes. We can help you out with that.
0: I recommend that newcomers enter the contest first, and then we will have subscription options for them after that.
1: Um, thank you everyone for listening. Have a wonderful day.
0: Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
1: Lucky?